This is Telehealth Unmuted, a podcast developed by Heartland Telehealth Resource Center. HTRC is one of 14 federally designated telehealth resource centers in the country, serving the states of Kansas, Missouri, and Oklahoma. We know there's a huge need for up-to-date telehealth-related information, from billing and reimbursement to psychology and online therapy. So we're bringing subject matter experts and their insights right to you. I'm your host, Kara Lawler, Director of Health Communication Research Center, and this is Telehealth Unmuted. So today on the show, we have a very special guest, and I know I say this every single time I record an episode because it's always true. But today we have Dr. Tori Gleason, who earned her chiropractic degree from Palmer College of Chiropractic. She's currently in the Master of Public Health program at the University of Kansas School of Medicine, Wichita campus, with a clinical focus on rural health access and health equity of LGBTQ plus populations. She has a passion for serving in the diversity, equity, and inclusion space with the GRMC, the Masonic Cancer Alliance, and the University of Kansas Cancer Center to develop and facilitate activities and programs to improve the quality of care for the health system. Welcome to the show, Dr. Gleason. Thank you so much for having me. I love talking to you. It's always so much fun. It's easy. And so we get to we get to geek out, nerd out over telehealth, and which is a passion of mine and yours. And we get to talk about rural health to urban health to whatever we want to talk about in between. So it's kind of fun. I am so excited about this. This has been a long time coming. I actually had the pleasure of meeting Dr. Gleason a couple of months ago to produce an article with Heartland Telehealth Resource Center. So I kind of think it's a full circle moment now to have you on the show. Um, and, and we've been really wanting to have this episode for a long time. So starting off, I always like to ask this question. Can you tell us about your career background and journey? What, what has that been like for you? You know, here's the thing, like, um, there's, there's, <laughs> there's a lot of facets to me, as you can tell, look in front of the screen. Um, but, uh, I, you know, I, I have a passion. I grew up in rural health. I grew up in Dodge City, Kansas. I practiced as a chiropractor the last 16 years in a little tiny town of less than 4,000 people, Goodland, Kansas, 17 miles away from the Colorado state line and Kansas border there in I-70. And I spent 10 years as a, as a, as a hospital board member at a little critical access hospital there. And it really not just from the hands-on patient care, but also from the governance and trying to do better and to support our physicians and our staff and, and those people that are in direct patient care and those that are working behind the scenes. And so, but, you know, ultimately, you know, my gender identity, I'm trans and, um, you know, how I discovered, uh, telehealth was, is that I needed it as a patient first. Um, had it not been for telehealth, I wouldn't be here today. And that's why I have such a passion for being engaged and, and being an advocate. And then, you know, at times it kind of might feel like an activist, but, uh, you know, really pushing, uh, you know, uh, how important telehealth is to from an access and barrier standpoint to reaching people that need care, especially out there in the middle, out there in the boondocks um, where, you know, you might have one healthcare, mental health care provider, behavioral health provider for 1600 people. And so just really important there. But um, I recently relocated to Eastern Kansas. I live in Olathe, suburb of 
Kansas City, and I'm a clinical analyst at LMH Health at Lawrence Memorial Hospital. And now uh, with the MPH epidemiology background and data analytics, um, I like to look at the the big picture and how I might be able to uh, take down some more of those barriers. And so that's kind of, I guess, my genesis story and how I'm here. Um, there's a lot of uh, um, interesting stories along the way, but that's that's kind of the, the 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 higher up view anyway. Wonderful. Thank you so much for giving that background. I think it was really comprehensive. Obviously, there's so many anecdotes within that, so I appreciate you condensing it down for us in the interest of time because <laughs> we have so many good things to touch on today. So kind of fast forwarding to the present, you are in your MPH program after years as a chiropractor. Why did you choose to study public health? What made you pivot to public health? That's a, that's a great question. Pivot is exactly that. You know, I love direct patient care, but I actually was trying to, through the, the ECHO pro, Project ECHO at the University of Kansas School of Medicine, I was trying to push a, uh, a way to educate our family med docs out in rural Kansas and all across Kansas for that matter. And so as I talked to them, we were trying to apply for grants to do the funding because ECHO is expensive. Great program. I adore it. But we ran into the problem that there wasn't baseline data. And so ultimately, they said, hey, we just had baseline data. So I said, fine, I'll just go back to school. I'll do my MPH in epidemiology. We'll get baseline data. And then we'll have the data we need to actually do the education uh, for the physicians, you know, roughly 2,000 family med docs here in the state of Kansas. And we can support them through, you know, Kansas Academy of Family Physicians and do the work we need to do. So it was it was literally uh, me just saying, I'll uh, I'll take the charge in the paint and whatever it takes to just go back to school. Because, you know, I'm 43. You know, my brain isn't as quick as it used to be. But it was just like, the, you know, those kids, those, those adolescents, those people need me in Western Kansas and Eastern Kansas. And so that's what got me into this. And that's, and, you know, how can we educate people and, and through using uh, Echo, through using telehealth, through using uh, ways of connecting with patients. That's why I'm here today and why I got into the epidemiology program. Beautiful. Thank you so much. And um, kind of jumping off of that and, and the topic of public health, there are so many different sub interest areas within public health that are of interest to you, of interest to me. And, um, you know, when we were uh, originally talking about this episode, it was so hard to kind of whittle down what to cover because I feel like both of us are research nerds. <laughs> um, so um, starting with the first one, social determinants of health, what is your take on the current landscape with with the intersection between what we look at with social determinants of health and, and the opportunities for telehealth in that space to um, impact those social determinants and to, to kind of confront them head on. Absolutely. I mean, and, and a lot of us that, I mean, I, I know social determinants of health has been a buzzword for a long time. And those in the, the health equity space, the population health, those in health communications, you know, depending on what study, 40 to 50% of the diagnosis is based on, you know, where you, where you live, where you eat, where you play, where you work. Those aspects are really important. Now, there's that what we know, and then how do we measure that? And then how do we implement changes to improve that or address the needs of our patient? Those are different conversations. But one thing we do know, and, and I, I know from working with community health workers over the summer and learning from those, the boots on the ground, the roots and boots people, which are phenomenal because they have taught me so much um, from a clinician standpoint, and then also from the analyst standpoint of 
using telehealth as a tool to get, you know, here's an iPad that has Wi-Fi. Let's put it in your hands and let's get you connected directly to a primary care provider, directly to a specialist that you need. Um, in addition to like, hey, let's make sure your basic needs are met as well. But it's that addition to that's why those community health workers are so nice. And it's just a nice little tool in their bag. The community health workers can utilize to connect them to services that they need. And so telehealth to me is just a great tool um, because it's, it's really that vehicle to what the, what the individual needs. And I think, like I said, I, I'm a huge champion for telehealth uh, because a, it saved my life, but B I know what it can do for other people that are struggling, other people that need you know connection that may have transportation issues, right. That may can't, get to an appointment and can yeah i'm in lawrence and it's you know from a, if let's say you're going to olathe which is technically about 35 miles away you know if i don't have the access to get to olathe to the specialist i can hop on a telehealth visit and i can still see my physician and i can get that access to care those barriers are removed and taken down and we bridge what the patient needs from where they are and that's really important and that's what telehealth allows us to do Yes, absolutely. And I really like that you mentioned the rural health aspect because that is the region that you serve. Um, and, and there are specific issues that impact rural communities that are different than, you know, our urban populations. So it, it's interesting because I think it's important as we look at this conversation to look at the intersectionality. So, um, you know, how what what is unique about the rural landscape versus the urban what is what is unique when it comes to things like the lgbtq plus community and and um you know in, indigenous people and and a lot of these populations that we'll be talking about today so kind of in line with that um you are also you know a research um expert you know in the lgbtq plus space have a vested interest in it um you know are an ally and and kind of looking at the healthcare outcomes and and issues that are important to that community what opportunities i guess actually to start off what what is the current landscape in in lawrence in in the, you know this rural population Absolutely. So from, you know, just the, the, the bigger picture view, we got 92,000 LGBTQ people in just the state of Kansas. We're looking at 12,400 trans individuals, trans identifying individuals in the state of Kansas. And so, again, just on that intersectional lens of, of from a sexual orientation, gender identity perspective, and then add in that intersectional lens of also rule as in another layer of that, which is challenging because again, we already know those populations um, or add in another layer to that. Of, what if your rule, um, you're, you have a, your sexual orientation is different than, uh, than other individuals. And then also your, you identify as BIPOC, you know? And so that's another layer of that. So again, all those intersectional identities and then trying to get access to care, it becomes a challenge. Because as you know, in, in, in health systems, whether it be rural at the clinical access uh, level, the federally qualified health center or larger health system, being able to give those individuals and connect them with the care they need is a challenge. And there's barriers at each one. And, and we're all trying to do better to connect with them. But it's just, it's tough because, um, and first of all, I wouldn't call myself, uh, you know, an expert. I would say that I am uh, a person that is uh, standing on the shoulders of some incredible giants and uh, my other data nerds at the Center for LGBTQ Research and Advocacy for KU School of Social Welfare 
And then I talked to another uh, amazing medical doctor at KU and family medicine just today and, and Dr. Quinn. And, and again, you know, we had, I had a great conversation with them and, and how we might better serve people. Um, and, and Quinn Jackson, MD is their name, also has an MPH. And, and they're just an incredible human being and how we can work together with, with them and other individuals. And, and our conversation earlier today was just on how do we connect through workshops for failing med docs out in Western Kansas, out in Eastern Kansas, whether that be Zoom or whatever. And it's just, let's sit down and have a conversation about how do we, you know, bring that level of care up, but also answer questions. And, and that's really what it's about is it's about connecting with other providers that have a passion for people and then connecting them with those people out in the field that are really just starving for information and subject matter expertise to make their skill sets better. And that's what we're all about. And, you know, that was this meeting just earlier today. And we're just excited to do also do some research out of that as well of, of how can we better serve? How can we better, uh, you know, identify first, identify the needs of providers and patients, but also then give them the tools they need to be able to help those populations as well. Yeah, yeah. So as we're kind of looking at this, what are the specific issues facing this population right now? Are there any that come to mind immediately? Um, you know, immense, like where do you want to start in with that? Whether it come to, you know, from a behavioral health perspective lens, whether it be from a lens of, you know, concerns of intimate partner violence, whether it be from a concerns of, of uh, cancer screens, again, populations within the LGBTQ and not just LGBTQ, because again, area that I really focus on. But, you know, we look at uh, from, a, you know, a colorectal screening, uh, you know, rates that have kind of stayed steady. Mammography rates have dropped over the pandemic, being able to get people connected, but also connected with just a PCP. And we've seen, you know, even today, we had a conversation about how can we get people back to a primary care visit, you know, that haven't been in in years, how do we measure that? And again, trying to connect that one way we could do that is family med visits through telehealth, connecting to the patients that maybe again, have barriers to being able to make it in, you know, this past, um, you know, past spring, I, I, I worked with KU family med department, as we talked about developing basically that telehealth role as they're advertising that to bring in family med docs that would literally just sit there and do telehealth visits, you know, because some of them are trying to room patients in real life and then room patients online and telehealth and that back and forth logistically could be a challenge. And so there's this whole area, get on Indeed or any of those others, and you see these docs that are literally just doing telehealth only, which is wonderful because it really fills those gaps that a lot of uh, patients might not be able to make it to a traditional brick and mortar. And so now that my, my care is, and again, I'll say it, my family fed, family medicine doctor is in Stockton, Kansas, which is a four hour drive from here. All I do is hop on a telehealth visit and I'm connected with my family med doc, Dr. Beth Aller and her husband, uh, Dr. Michael Aller. And so I had that connection instantly. You know, it's, it's an inconvenience but I'm privileged because I could make that drive four hours away, but I don't have the work schedule. So I just schedule it over my lunch period, hop on the schedule with my family med doc, get my family medicine appointment in and out. I'm taken care of and I know that I've got my needs met. And without telehealth, that wouldn't be possible. I'd be looking for a new doctor and I want to work with that family physician that's been working with, with me for years. Yes, exactly. And and there's so many good things that you just mentioned um, that I, you know, can't, I can't even begin to like delve into for the sake of not making this a five hour podcast. But, um, you know, it's, I think 
my my next question is about the success measurements when we look at um you know that the lgbtq plus community if implementation is to happen part of legitimizing it and justifying it and, and getting more adoption is proving that it works and, and proving that it's effective so what measurements um if any are kind of the baseline for determining um the success of health telehealth as an option for this population that's a great question and and some of that is is that a how do you connect to those people that that need the care you know whether that if, if we're talking rural sherman county thomas county in northwest kansas um uh, which is you know one has a population of about six thousand, the other one is roughly 7500 you know how do we access them like some people aren't privileged enough to have a, a smartphone, right? So how do we get that hands and in? Maybe it's a, a you know, not a traditional brick and mortar hospital setting for telehealth. You know, maybe it is going to the local community, local uh, community health department that has iPad, Wi-Fi access in a room that's private, secure. They can hop on, meet with a provider uh, that may be in Denver, that may be, uh, you know, wherever the case may be, and have access to their local county health department um, through through an iPad or through some type of a tablet that they can meet directly. And so in terms of metrics, it's tough to say, right? Because sometimes uh, those individuals, which again, because of historical harm um, and trauma they've had, are less likely to go to a primary care visit because their fear of being misgendered, because their fear of how they're going to be treated. So when you find people that have great uh, cultural, uh, you know, not competence, but cultural humility and training there, you know, and you find those people, then connecting with those individuals, building that trust, rebuilding that trust, you know, those measures are just getting them to a primary care visit is important. So the family med docs can do their things beyond just specialty care. But if we don't prevent things, it's, it's it's easier to prevent than to treat. And so getting them just to family care docs um, early on and yearly appointments, to me, is a good measure of success. Because if we get them to where they're now, we're in, in, in late stage, um, you know, chronic disease status, it's that much more challenging, especially if we're going to try and manage that through telehealth, try and manage that through the local community hospital. Those are challenging, but getting the access to them early on and then working through them through medical management, working through them with, uh, you know, being basically essentially the air traffic controller for additional services they may need in the in the community, as well as in, in larger health systems or other specialty care. That family med doc is that person that we or APP as well. Those are those individuals that absolutely need to be taken care of. And that is key to being able to prevent chronic diseases in those individuals and keeping them healthy. And so telehealth, in terms of metrics, to me, it starts at the family medicine level. It starts at that basic level of care, you know, beyond just that. And, and especially looking at, a, a, you know, when we start stratifying the data in terms of, insurance status are you underserved or you know unserved you know sometimes in data we get so caught up into meeting percentages of commercial insurances and payers that we forget about the people that aren't even in the system and we cannot forget about those people those individuals that need the care the most and so we have to pour resources into those and that's why communities organizing to promote equity which is the cope grant that KU Med as well as KDHE ran this past 
past two years uh, post COVID and got grant funding for that. And they've been able to go into 22 counties in the state of Kansas to really connect at the local level with community health workers and what they call health equity action teams or local health equity action teams and LHEAT to get people and connect them with the people and resources they need. Fantastic. Yes. So um, kind of switching gears to the co-program, can you tell us more about it? I'm uh, just for our for our listeners. I'm so I'm going to fangirl a little bit, but um, you know those those individuals, the Christina Pacheco's of the world, and the Sarah Kessler's, those that are the the main people behind that, the driving Vicky Collier Acres, um, these great professors and individuals at KU that then connect with the amazing people at Kansas Department of Health and Environment, which would be like Jade Ramsdale and and Alex Guerrero, and it's just this beautiful like marriage and connection of let's just get the resources to the people. And then you have these counties, 20 now plus two, 22 counties, if you will, across the state and, you know, taking care of them. And I'm going to talk Western Kansas because rule is my heart. Um, looking at Sherman and Thomas County, looking at, at, you know, down in Southwest Kansas and Dodge City, Garden City and Ulysses down there in Grant, Ford and Finney County, getting people, which are in Southwest Kansas is one of the most diverse places in, in all of Kansas and, and, and many might say in all of the United States with a town of, you know, 35,000 people in 30 languages spoken in the high school of less than 2000 students. It's wonderful to be able to have that access to, to people that can help. And the community health workers is one of the ways they do that. And there's in Southeast Kansas, another great collaborative. If you go to Wyandotte and in Johnson County, again, great places doing great work around Sedgwick County and Wichita. Again, I cannot brag enough about the local community health department, uh, you know, working in tandem with the local community health worker, working with the health systems and the different stakeholders as they identify needs. And there's grant funding to be able to fill those needs. And so it's a great program. Sustainability is always an issue. But again, it's really answering some needs that need to be there and a great kind of model for how it can be done throughout the country. And again, telehealth is a big piece of that, being able to connect to providers and people to the individuals they're serving in the community. I love that. So um, at present within the COPE program, what what is currently being worked on or what are you excited for kind of looking ahead in the next couple of months? So I was blessed to work on the side of, I, you know, I did my internship, part of my MPH requirements through epidemiology with the health equity uh, team at Kansas Department of Health and Environment. And so I looked at the sustainability piece, but really got to understand from a larger state health systems perspective. And then I got to help at the local community level through Sherman County and Thomas County. And so I got to work with their L heat out there and working with uh, uh you know, I guess Professor Kessler, as well as Christina Pacheco and others, uh, Dr. Collier Akers, as well as Dr. Kessler, excuse me. And so I got the chance to see how it worked as, you know, from the, the local level, as well as that umbrella view. What comes of that, it always comes back to sustainability. How can we afford to pay for it? How can we get those grants to be able to continue that program, which in any great thing comes down to, can we continue and pay for this? And I think that that's always the fear of, man, we're doing great work, but can it, can we keep this momentum? Can we keep helping people? And so the question is, I hope so, because what I do know is that they're making an amazing difference in those communities and the lives of the people they serve. And KU and working with KDH&E is just kind of that beautiful relationship between 
academic medical teaching center, as well as state health department, and then work, working with the local community health department. And this is just great model for how we can, you know, to be determined. But uh, I'm just hopeful for all of those people around the state of Kansas that they have what they need and that we can continue to grow because in population health, we have the saying, nothing about us without us. And that is the model that they take. And it's making sure that they get feedback from the people. And then we make changes at the, 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 the larger structure level and then changes we need because we are not the experts in people's individual health needs. They are. And that's one of the things I love about the COPE program. I love the phrase, nothing about us without us. And I think you're absolutely right that that is paramount to the work that we do in public health and the project, like over the last couple of years, you know, even in my work, I've seen projects be most successful when there's representation from the population that is being impacted by said project. So having them be, you know, involved in every step of the process is so important because otherwise, especially in the world of like strategic planning, marketing, our messaging falls short. <laughs> if it's not going, it, it, you know, it, it means nothing if it's going to the right audience, if it's not appealing to them, right? Because they can see it and and say, okay, this wasn't representative of me, therefore I'm not going to listen. So I think having the representation is 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 kind of the secret sauce to making sure that um, what we do is effective and ultimately, um, you know, impactful for these populations. So um, I love that. Yeah. And, you know, from a community advisory board status, you know, we cannot continue to do work and from a population health perspective or a health system perspective if we're not getting feedback from our own community. And I don't mean feedback in the terms of a Facebook review. I mean, engaging with them in the beginning and have a changing our messaging, have us change the way we structure things based on what we need as an agency and what that is. Our needs are to serve the patient to take care of the patient, because it's not about us, it's about them. And so if we're not listening, we're falling short. And that's where public health has failed in, in, in decades past is that, and that's where you see with public health 3.0 is, is that now it's about leading with the community and giving us feedback and then us retooling our message and them being a partner in this. So there's ownership in it. It's not a, hey, we'll take that information, go back and study it, and then we'll deliver it to you or not even deliver it to you in a form of a paper. But then we're left holding the bag. Right now, it's about let's partner with you. Let's change your community and let's take those down, down those barriers together because it's about your neighbor being taken care of. Yes, yes, absolutely. And then kind of in line with that, um, I know I really wanted to make sure to ask about um, some of our other communities that, um, you know, have specific um, health goals and need, you know, specific types of assistance, one of them being the Indigenous communities um within the midwest but specifically in this case in kansas in the lawrence kansas area can you first for us define what is what what who who are the members of this population in kansas specifically um just to set the groundwork so you know one thing is, is this is where my uh, imposter syndrome comes up 
right? This is where um, I am not a member of the BIPOC community. And so automatically, I'll tell you from a vulnerability standpoint, instantly I get anxiety. Instantly my throat tightens, my chest tightens. I'm like, oh God, like I'm an adjunct to that. I'm a supporter, but next to and not leading in that. So I want to make sure that I speak with clarity there. But, you know, when we talk about that, it's 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 basically we talk about that black, uh, black indigenous population and people of color. And that's what we talk about. And one of my good friends, um, Ashley Bloom, MD, she's got a clinic on the east side of Lawrence. And the reason that's important is, is because um, she has that she's she's bilingual, does a great job. And she's got from a health equity lens, she's amazing in taking care of individuals that need care. And um, we have a lot of individuals that that they just need that level of care where, again, having a, a physician that doesn't need an interpreter, then, uh, you know, and, and again, no, she's lucky one language and then another, right? Just two, but having the ability for interpretive services through just getting on an app, getting on through an iPad is, is really healthy, but making sure, especially with our indigenous population, that we can get them the care they need and, and meeting them where they are. Um, and that's, we have an access issue there making sure that they they can we the the sample size of the patient population we have to serve there we have the providers taking care of them and again my experience of that just because it's somebody that i adore and dr bloom is is that a family med doc in a small 900 square foot uh you know clinic in east lawrence taking care of people and just meeting them where they are because at the end of the day that's all care is, is just meeting people where they are and ashley bloom is a rock star when it comes to that and the ashley blooms out there um, you know, those those APPs, those MDBOs that are out there just taking care of the population. And you see those on on, you know, lands that are taking care of those indigenous populations, BIPOC uh, populations. And again, remember, intersectional lenses, right? Within indigenous population, we have those that are indigenous and rural, those that are indigenous and rural, those that are, you know, maybe, um, you know, have a different family structure, right? Like, I'm a single parent. I, I, you know, I am, you know, white. I am trans. I am queer. I am all those are layers. If I had sticky notes, I'd be putting them all over the different layers I am, just like another individual and making sure that we can't just look at somebody through one lens. It's multiple lenses and understanding how to take care of them and meeting them where they are. And so Kansas is a great population to be able to take care of. And are we giving those populations what we need? If you look at Douglas Lawrence, Douglas County Public Health Department that does a health equity report every couple of years, we are falling short in those. There's opportunities there. There's things that we have to do a better job at. And that's where, you know, there's the science of medicine and, and you know, the art of medicine. That's that art and how good of a communicator you are. And into your area, your expertise, how great of a storyteller are you? Because storytelling is so important in part of this because data will tell a story, but if you can't tell it, we missed the point. Yes, absolutely. And I, I do think like ultimately um, the, the art of communication is, is ultimately just to be understood, right? And so um, I always tell people this, it does not matter if you know a million adjectives or fancy words, if the people that you're communicating to don't get it, you're not communicating effectively. So just kind of take that. <laughs> Just don't don't try to flex when you're trying to communicate because that doesn't serve anybody. Um, but I think, you know, in line with that, um, and one of the goals of this show has always been to bring on these subject matter experts who are super smart, super passionate, super knowledgeable, and synthesize down 
what it is that they're doing, break down the data, break down these programs into digestible bite-sized chunks for you know the non-clinicians and and the general population because ultimately you know um th- this this should be acknowledged that everyone has access to that's always been my plight and i think too um part of that is making it less intimidating and empowering people to say you can understand research you can understand data we can have this conversation like i promise you you're capable and it will help you um, to be a better, you know, member of society, but also to take charge um, of your health outcomes, which goes back into public health, right? Like having that individual knowledge helps the population as a whole. So that was a really long monologue, but I completely agree with you. And I think communication is a far bigger piece than I think people give it credit for, Um as it relates to healthcare and and um, public health issues, but um, I'm curious. So, you know, we touched on a lot of things today, and you know, um, w- one of the programs you mentioned is Cope, and and so 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 cool. What other, if any, projects or initiatives are you working on outside of that program that? you are most proud of. It can even be a program that you completed or worked on years ago. But, you know, if you were to answer that question, I are there any that come to mind? You know, it's 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 the next project. That's that's the that's the one I'm most excited about. And because, you know, as you said from a health literacy, health uh, you know, uh communication standpoint, as soon as I get off this call, I'm gonna be like, ah, I messed that up. I didn't I didn't do a good enough job when it comes to that and communicating to to you and your audience and and you know, because that's just what you do is you like, I failed. And that's constantly that because failing means I didn't take care of the patients, I didn't take care of the people. And so that's 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 an important thing but looking at the work from a health literacy standpoint and health education standpoint and getting getting our family med docs um the the care they need and the education they need and changing uh curriculum within uh, residency programs um which is my hope um right now working on you know a study of of looking at er physicians and taking care of trans patients um you know working on establishing more gender affirming care, you know, again, at uh, at a clinic uh, in, in Northeast Kansas and trying to get that, trying to improve services at University of Kansas, trying to improve service because it could always be better. Um, I think that that's where it is. Meeting with the, the Federally Qualified Health Center um, in Lawrence on Friday, I'm spending two hours working with their CEO and COO on some work there. And how could we better partner together between my hosp- hospital health system and the FQHC to take care of all of our patients? Are there opportunities within their clinic setting that might be better? Those are those opportunities that set networking. And here's the thing. I tell you this because I don't like to brag about things because all I want to do is give my my lived and learned experience to them. And I do that free because it's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about any. It's about just taking care of our populations. And again, at the end of the day, if we can collaborate, work together and um, put our heads together, I think that we do more work and better work together. That's what I'm most excited about in the future going forward. I love that. And I think what you just said about the importance of collaboration, I think there is a really interesting tie between um, the collaborative nature of public health and the collaborative nature of living in a rural community. Um, That is very interesting to me. Um, And 
I, I just think that there's an overlap there that shouldn't be discounted in that, um, you know, when you are living in a more rural population, your community matters quite a bit more. You're more reliant on them. Um, and this is a this is definitely a generalization, but there is truth to this when you compare, you know, that reliance um, to those that live in an urban setting. There's a larger population, um, which means, you know, there's more people available um, to go to. So I think, I just think that there's a cool tie. I was curious to hear your thoughts on that. Absolutely. From, you know, like an asset-based community development perspective, right? Like we think about always going to the store to go get those groceries, to go get those things, but we forget about the garden in our own backyard. We forget about the own resources that are plentiful. You know, it's easy to be in rule and be of a scarcity mindset when in fact we're rule by choice, many of us. And we, it's easy to understand that when you look at what we have, it's really an abundance mindset. We have a lot of talent right there and rule. And when we work together neighbor by neighbor, you see it when a farmer goes down with injury and the other farmers come around to, to harvest their crop for them and to give of their time. There's a fire and cattle don't have feed. And so trucker after trucker will bring feed. That's the mindset of rule is whatever it takes. And the neighbor takes care of neighbor. And that moves into healthcare as well, is that taking care of your neighbor. I was told the difference between when I lived in rural and, and, and I've lived in urban areas, because when you hear an ambulance siren, you think, I could know that person. That could be my neighbor. And now, not that that doesn't happen in urban areas as well, but the odds are definitely there because I lived in a town of less than 4,000 people that that's exactly what it was. And, and so being able to connect with your neighbor, being able to connect with collaboration with your local county health department. And I'm still tied to my community. My local county health department uh, director is getting ready to apply and, and through uh, through her MPH program. And I'm so proud of her to see her growth because she's brilliant. The last several years, I've got a chance to work with her almost eight years that I've worked with her um, just to see her growth and what she's doing. And so I've been nudging her along the last two years, begging her to do an MPH program because she's so wicked smart. And I just love what she does for our community and not just that statewide. And again, here we are, this little rural community with incredible talent doing big world stuff. And it's just really exciting to see that and to be a cheerleader on the side to watch people just, uh, you know, continue to help their community. I love that. And and you said something, you said, you know, oftentimes people are rural by choice, right? And and you said something earlier in this interview that I wanted to kind of circle back to. Um, and it's that you said, I think rural has your heart or rural is your heart, one of the two. So in your opinion, why did you why did you choose rural? You know, I grew up in Dodge City, Kansas, which is still rural, but I liked rule because of i felt like there were fewer barriers in terms of that closeness and connectivity to providers and to specialists to to nursing staff to whatever you needed to teachers for instance parent teacher conferences are up this uh, you know tonight actually i'm 7 30 i'm going to my son's parent teacher conference tonight and i just think about you know being in a big city of Olathe and what has been a, a fantastic school district i just don't feel that connection i did in goodland I don't feel that connection to the teachers where I knew the teachers. I knew the teachers when they were in high school and junior high growing up. And I saw them, you know, grow up and become teachers and you know, everybody. So there is, that is where my heart is, is when it comes to rule and always will be, no matter what town I live in, my heart will always be in rule. 
And that's why, you know, I, you know, I was asked by a professor um, at KU to join one of their, their uh, new rule behavioral health committees that they have, that KU is doing. And said, I said, of course, you know where my heart is with my answer. And that's true. My heart will always be in rule. And I was rule by choice. I left for a different reason, but I'm rule by choice. And a lot of the people are there too, because it's that quality of life. It's Friday night lights. It's, you know, taking care of people. And I just absolutely adore rule. And that's why telehealth and that's why health literacy and health communication and all these things are intersectional with rule and being able to connect people with the source resources they need. Wow. That was a mic drop moment if I've ever heard one. <laughs> Although I feel like 90% of this interview has been mic drop moments. So you are a great guest. Um, this has been super awesome. And, uh, you know, for anyone listening, this was actually such a feat for us to keep this in under an hour because... <laughs> I think this could have very easily been a lot longer, and I fully anticipate we'll have future episodes with Dr. Gleason because <laughs> there is so much that we didn't cover. There's so a I lot just... we didn't cover, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. There's so much more. Like we need an episode too. No, like, this um, is this our is... overview. Yes, this <laughs> so... is this is the part uh, where the uh, fans are are like saying we need a longer conversation. We because want there more. Is... Yes, <laughs> yeah. we want more for sure. Yeah. Because, and and again, especially more rule. And there's, yes. you know, even when you look at it from a research perspective, there's not enough rule. There's not enough of that. And we need more experts coming in. And my other friends that are smarter than I am, they can come on here and tell you more about why telehealth is so vital for reaching our rural populations and rule by choice. But that should not mean lesser care. A rule by choice means just we have to work harder to give them access to bridge where they are to where they need to be to get the outcomes that they deserve. You're absolutely right. Thank you so much for your time today um, and your energy. Um, Dr. Gleason is a very busy person uh, completing her MPH right now. So this has been such a treat to even get an hour with her and um, hope you guys enjoyed. This has been Telehealth Unmuted. Be sure to share this episode and subscribe to hear future interviews with leading experts in the field. This podcast was made possible by the Heartland Telehealth Resource Center through grant number U1UTH42530 from the Office for the Advancement of Telehealth, Health Resources and Services Administration and Department of Health and Human Services.